What's up, everyone, and welcome to The Corporate Bartender. I hope everyone had a lovely Thanksgiving and is enjoying the season of holidays that we find ourselves in right now. Today's show's a good one. We're digging deep into positive influence. We're going to be talking about the ripple effects of the actions that we take and why the influence that we create matters. We have Brian Smith on the program today, and if you don't know Brian, you know we'll hook you up. He's the founder and senior managing partner of IA Business Advisors, a management consulting firm that has worked with more than 19,000 CEOs, entrepreneurs, managers, and employees worldwide. Together with his daughter, Mary Griffin, he has authored his latest book in the IN Team series, Positive Influence, Be the IN Team, which shares how to become our best selves with everyone we influence. This conversation was a banger, and I think you're all really going to dig it. So buckle up, TCBers, grab your favorite cocktail, and let's get right on into it with Brian Smith on today's TCB. Welcome to Sky Team's The Corporate Bartender, where we gather some of the best HR and people leaders to discuss what's happening on the people side of business. Now pull up a stool, belly up to the bar, and join us for The Corporate Bartender. Well, welcome everybody. It's your favorite day and mine. It's Wednesday. It's Corporate Bartender Day. And today is the 5th of September. Ruby, it is pumpkin spice time. Yeah! (laughs) She's been waiting for it. It's still not boots and sweater weather. It's 85 degrees outside, but it is pumpkin spice time. Lori and I were in Leadville this weekend and we stopped in the Safeway to do some shopping to, mm-hmm. to uh, gear up, supply up for the weekend, and uh, made a discovery that there is now a Special K pumpkin spice flavor. Yeah, Lori gave Cereal. it a thumbs down. She gave it a thumbs yeah. down. No. <laughs> Too far. Too far. Too far. <laughs> this is the 178th time that we've gotten together. We're going to have to do something special for 200. Maybe we'll all go to Riot Fest. I don't know. Hey. Sounds like a good plan. Hey-o. Uh, Today's going to be a good day. Today we have a guest. He's the guy you don't know in the window. His name is Brian Smith, and he's the founder and senior managing partner of IA Business Advisors, a consulting firm that's worked with more than 19,000 CEOs, entrepreneurs, managers, and employees worldwide. He's written a couple of books with his daughter, And we're going to talk about the new one today, the one he colloquially refers to as the green one. We're going to talk about the green one today. It's called Positive Influence, Be the IN Team. And he knows all the IN Team jokes. I asked him and he's heard them all. So (laughs) it's not going to stop me from sharing mine, is it, Ruby? Nope. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) And... Like all people that have written a book, I said I was going to do it until the book is one year old and I've got another month and a half until that happens. So I'll continue to be a pain in the ass. If you have not purchased your copy of You, Me, We, Why We All Need a Friend at Work and How to Show Up One by Ruby Vesely and her colleagues, (laughs) you should do that. (laughs) If you do have it, please write us a review on Amazon because we are still shy of that magical 100 reviews where something special happens i don't know that it does but that's what they tell us so i'll keep asking (laughs) we've got a bevy of guests upcoming i've booked people into 
January of 2024. Woo! Coming up next week, we have uh, Buki Misaku, who uh, has written a book called I Don't Understand Navigating Unconscious Bias in the Workplace. He's got some reverse bias work uh, research that looks super interesting. So looking forward to that one. October 4th, Tony Martinetti, Climbing the Right Mountain, Navigating the Journey to an Inspired Life. Yesterday, we locked up Shelly Phillips. She'll be here on Lori's birthday. Uh, Lori won't be here because she'll be at... Because I'll be at a conference working, but (laughs) (laughs) it's okay. (laughs) On her birthday. That's just sad. (laughs) We'll give that the sad trombone. Shelly Phillips is the author of Culture, Secrets, Secrets leaders use to build a value culture and values and acronyms. So I'm looking forward to unpacking that. And then uh, in November, we've got a couple, we've got positive communication for leaders, author Julian Miravel on the first. And the one that I'm looking forward to November 15th, Neil Rogers, author of bar tips, everything I needed to know in sales. I learned behind the bar and I got my official hard copy of the book yesterday. So to have our first real life bartender, on the bartender, that's pretty cool. That's and if you cool. if you're not ready to have a cocktail during that one, have a you know seltzer and lime or something in a pretty glass. Right, <laughs> right. we're gonna have to make him feel at home. Right, so it's not just me that's the bartender. He's the real bartender. Well, today we're gonna be talking to Brian Smith. So without further ado, let's give him a TCB welcome, shall we? We always dance him in, Brian. So you're a music guy. on the screen you'll see the green book positive influence be the i and team by brian smith and his daughter mary griffin brian welcome to the show thanks for being here today thank you for having me nice to see everybody absolutely well brian i don't think that when you were a child you set out to be an author an entrepreneur and a helper of businesses worldwide (laughs) What did you want to be? How did you get here? How did you get into this game? Yeah, well, funny enough, as a child, I wanted to be an accountant. Um, and, on purpose? Yes, on purpose. <laughs> and, and I modeled that want after, funny enough, Alex P. Keaton, Michael J. Fox's character. And yes. so uh, that's what I wanted to be in. And, um I kind of derailed myself in high school. I got into drugs, ended up in the military, Mm -hmm. Um, but the military paid for my education and I got a degree in accounting, went to work for Arthur Anderson and hated it. No. So um, that was a bit, that was a big thing that if you were, if you were going to go into accounting, that was the sort of top echelon. That was the place you wanted to be back. Yeah. Big six. And um, I, I literally hated it. And so uh, I quit and I got my first job uh, in a warehouse putting in a computerized accounting system uh, for an entrepreneur who decided he was also a mentor. And I learned about business and people and how companies were driven by people, not by technology and not by anything else from that man. And his name was Jack Danger. And I built my first company doing computerized accounting systems in the early 90s. We sold it. I became the worldwide worldwide IT manager of an oil exploration company. Uh, 
for a couple of years, went through a whole bunch of IPOs and mergers and acquisitions all over the world. So I gained a lot more experience about integrating teams, integrating people, process, and technology beyond small business desktop accounting systems. Um, that got sold. They got bought by Slumberjay, uh, oh, yeah. got my golden parachute, started an IT company, but that's when I also started IA and started looking at what technology was doing to humans, how it was changing the way that we, uh, well, basically the way that we lived, not just in the office, but as technology matured and evolved, it changed our lives from the office to the home to everywhere. And IA is really the evolution of that. Um, we still dabble in ERP systems, uh, we do a lot of merger and acquisition work, but it's just really evolved from those early days of technology and understanding how humans were going to be affected by it. I love that. Not every technologist has that uh, that mindset of of thinking about the human impact. We talk a lot in our workshops at Sky Team about how you can have the best idea, the best widget, the best system, but if you don't get the people part right, there's not one idea that can't be undermined by people. That's, yeah, exactly. that's awesome. Um, I got to ask you about this photo here. Cause since we talked about music fest, you look tan and happy. And I'm wondering <laughs> if this was taken at a music festival. Um, no, but I am outdoors a lot. Um, anywhere I go, I try to be outside, preferably on the water. Um, so uh, I find myself outdoors a lot. I, I just try to look how I try to look healthy. Not <laughs> <stressed>. <laughs> hey buddy, we're, I mean, we're in that over 50 club. I feel you. I, feel you. <laughs> I don't look like this on the inside, on the inside. I have That's hair. Funny. <laughs> I have hair. <laughs> so you and your daughter have teamed up to write what has become a series of books, you know, um, Writing a book isn't an easy endeavor, and the publishing industry isn't the most uh, easy to navigate or welcoming. What compelled you to start that first book, much less a series of books? Yeah, the first book started um, with Mary and I going through my journal. So I've been journaling for over 30 years. I have thousands of journals. Um, uh, I have, you know, the college composition oh, book. Oh, yeah. And if I showed you, there's over there, there's about, you know, 50 just sitting on wow. the shelf over there. And and there's another couple thousand in the basement. Anyhow, Mary asked if she could go through them. She was a junior in college. She's an English major, and she just wanted to learn about her dad and understand, you know, what do you journal about? And yeah. she came back and said, would you consider, you know writing a book about all these crazy stories you have that you've written about, and we could pull them out of these journals and turn them into something that would be valuable to people. They could, you, you could, you have this philosophy about what the individual is. We could wrap your stories around that and churn out a book. So that's kind of what we did. And it's really turned into uh it's really turned into this book series and it's a podcast series. It's a blog series. 
it's a speaking series and um but its focus is like you mentioned is people i love that so the titles are similar right there's the first book which is the orange one if i recall yes yeah, the orange book is called Individual Influence, Find the I in Team. And the green book is called Positive Influence, Be the I in Team. What's the difference? And do we have to read both or do we have to read them in order? Like if we're going to take it in, how do we do it? No, um, you don't have to read them in order. We have tried very hard to let them stand on their own and to bring to people some value individually. Uh, together, I think they're a little bit more powerful. And our third book, is following in that series. It's called Responsible Influence, Build the I and Team. And, um, uh, but we want them to stand on their own. We we want them to have different takeaways, and they do. Uh, each book has its own little group of, uh, you know, as you know uh, uh, from selling books, <laughs> you can track what kind of people are buying your books, what genre you're actually performing well in. And our our orange book currently is ranked in the top five for teens and young adults, which just blows my mind. Um, but then I think about the influence that Mary has had in our writing. And I start to think, well, that makes a little bit more sense because, you know, she's from that younger generation. Mm -hmm. uh, the green book is trending in an entirely different place. Mm. But uh, even though they were meant to be in a series, they've they've gone off on their own paths and they stand on their own. I like that. I like that. So we can jump right in with the green book because that's the newest one that's out and available. If we want to, we can just start there. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. So it's called positive influence, right? That's motherhood, apple pie and baseball. That's a good thing. Nobody would argue against it. What does it mean? And what does it mean to embrace our own positive influence? Yeah, it means, it means that, uh, we think people have a responsibility to be positive, but a lot of people don't know what that means. And the book helps people understand how to take their life story, how to take the we that they are. And what we mean by that is we are a culmination of all of the influence to this very moment. And how do you take that good, bad, and different, neutral, and and create and be a positive influence in whatever area of influence you have. And it takes them on a journey of understanding what their area influence is, understanding what their individual influence is, and then coming to terms with accepting that they are important, that they they are influential no matter what you do, and that they are positive. And we just walk them through this journey of doing that. Mm -hmm. I like that. You know, we live in a time where there's a job today that didn't exist when I was a kid, and that job is influencer. And that doesn't have the most positive connotations. Um, you know, you don't tend to think of real deep thinking and a lot of value being added to the society, or at least I don't when I think about this notion of influencers. Um, how do you how do you differentiate between an influencer in that regard? and your idea of positive influence. Yeah, so, you know, you're touching on something that I really like to focus on, and actually it's really the foundation of what our series is and what our third book is, which is about responsible influence. And being an influencer, as we all know now, uh, 
you can film kittens uh, playing with a ball and become an influencer. And all of a sudden, you're an expert in politics, in life. You're, you're, you're a business coach, all because you filmed your cat and got 25 million views, and you are now famous. Our books kind of dissect that and take people, put them back on their heels and say, you know, realize your area of influence. If, if, if your influence is filming kittens playing with balls, stick to filming kittens <laughs> playing with balls. And if you want to be responsible with that influence, don't start telling people who to vote for. Don't start telling people to get shots or not get shots. Don't start telling people to do things that they will listen to, unfortunately, and they will do, unfortunately, in spite of the fact that a lot of what some of these influences get into from the area of influence that they've built is outside of the area of influence they should be. Mm -hmm. are, are you noticing in your portfolio of businesses and the work that you're doing with Mary, um, are people, are, is there a generational difference in, in this idea and willingness to, to be influential and to put yourself out there? Is that something you guys have picked up on? You know, I thought we were, and then we hire people and get them into our environment and we watch them, uh, uh, mature rapidly and and yes they may go out with their friends and still be silly and do some of the things that some of the younger people do today but when they come back into this area of influence the work environment they they tend to pivot more towards where the most influence is so if companies build positive cultures you can have a culture that's positive and have multi generations in there and they all work together as one individual unit, and they do it very, very well if they have a good support system. That doesn't mean that they don't leave and go off and listen to their different genres of music and do their different things that they do. But what we're seeing more through our organizations and our clients is that these cultures that we support support a more conducive and a more inclusive uh, environment. And we're seeing that spill over. We're seeing for us, seeing people mature in our minds and in our opinion quicker, becoming more thoughtful, uh, becoming more positive and having uh, more positive influence in whatever areas of influence they have. It makes it makes me think about um, some of the younger upcoming generations having a, a completely different attitude around you know, diversity and inclusion and social justice and the environment and the, the things that they actually bring in that influence the older generations, right? That it's it's not just passing down ways of being or cultural norms from the older generations. It's actually quite a bit of influence and, and expectation and almost demanding greater attention and care with those topics. Yeah, we see yeah. the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, we, at least in our areas of influence, we teach the listen to learn, which means that when young people come into our organizations, we want to listen to them also. Mm -hmm. And the best way to fold them into a culture and to have that culture evolve is to do that and to include them and mm -hmm. to listen to them. And when they, when you do that with young people, they become uh, more receptive 
also to the older generations. They appreciate that. And I, I think people pigeonhole the younger generations and think that they're going to go to their own tune. They're not going to listen. They're not going to be inclusive to the other generations, but they actually will if you treat them with some respect and 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 don't generalize them. That's yeah. a true story. I uh, I was a professor at at uh, University of Denver for a little while doing adjunct work there, and people people would say, "Yeah, but these kids today, you know, like our parents said about us, mm-hmm. um, they're not loyal. They don't uh, they don't work hard. Um, all all untrue." Right. They're just they're just passionate about they're passionate about a different set of things. Um, and they want to make sure that, you know, A, the company is doing good stuff. Um, and B, that that they can contribute in a meaningful way and they feel like it's a two way street. I'm investing in you, you're investing in me. You do those things super loyal and super productive. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't do those things, yeah, they they will move on. But it's it's a thing that our parents didn't do. Because our parents lived in the work there till you get a watch generation, and and we worked there until the economy turned down and we got laid off again. Generation, you know, <laughs> I had high hopes for Xers, and uh, I think I think we got a little PTSD from being latchkey kids growing up and then getting beaten up by economic cyclicality over our prime earning years. So I have faith in our mm-hmm. kids. I have faith in them. Moving forward, I want to go back to this notion of building positive cultures because, you know, we we at Sky Team, we do a lot of work with companies that are attempting to do that. And, you know, some companies do it better than the others. Um, from your perspective, what are the critical elements to building a positive culture? Yeah, you know, we use one approach towards uh, for our clients to do that. And we call it smart management and we apply smart communication to everything we do. And if, if, if you, uh, are familiar with what smart goals are, then Mm -hmm. you can grasp what our smart management program is. As you know, smart goals are specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. We apply that to communicating. We apply that to culture development. We apply that to mission setting. We apply that to tactical development. We apply SMART to everything. So you can create a SMART goal, but if you don't create a SMART path to that goal, it will fall apart. So Mm -hmm. we teach our clients how to be more specific with one another, which means that they become more transparent. We teach them about measurability and what measurement means. That teaches them about accountability and how to be held accountable. Uh, we teach them to think about attainment and, and, and realism and timeliness in those areas of influence that are that come from specificity and measurement. And we wrap that up into this simple smart package, and it just has caught on. Mm-hmm. And um, it has really been beneficial for our clients. And it's made us, I mean, we're 27 years old, and we don't, in our world, the world of management consulting, you don't last that long if you're not good at what you do. Mm-hmm. That's a true story. That's a true story. You know, thinking about leaders and and stepping into that uh, realm of influence, like leaning in and owning it. I was I was having a coaching conversation with a client today, and and the metaphor that I used. He's a new uh, C level executive in a in an engineering company, 
and he's been there a long time. So there's this sort of feeling of normal, but he is now, you know, in a C-suite job. So he is now boss to many of the people that he's been peers with for a long time. And we were having this conversation and the metaphor I used was rocks dropped in a pond. And, you know, when he was a manager or director with his manager, director peers, they all had similar size rocks. And those people still have those size rocks, call them baseball size rocks. He has a boulder size rock. Now when he drops that into the pond, that is the organization the ripples are big. And, it was a it was an eye eye opening aha moment for him because he hadn't ever thought about that. He's just doing his thing, and I always tell coaching clients when executives speak, they create two things: they create truth and they create work. Um, so be careful what you're saying. Ruby says it all the time. Everybody's watching you. So sort of a two sided question: How do you get an executive who's reluctant to lean into? that sphere of influence that he or she has a or B, how do you help? How do you help someone who's going in, jumped in with both feet, but they're wreaking havoc all over the organization with their influence. So sort of the one end of the continuum to the other, what's the best practice there? Yeah, I think they might be one and the same for us. We actually take people on a journey of what individual influence actually means. And we go back to, it's it's foundation and the foundation of influence for each of us is the moment that our parents learned that we were going to be born we at that moment became an influencer we were changing lives and we hadn't even taken our first breath and we will continue no matter what we do i don't care what your job is what area of influence you live in you work in that you friend in it doesn't matter you have influence and everything we do, everything we say, every reaction and action that we take has influence on somebody, either ourself or outwardly somebody else, the ripples you're talking about. And we walk, not just business leaders, we walk the managers, we walk the ditch diggers, the cooks, through this understanding of what their influence means within the context of their specific area of influence in that moment of their life. And once you clearly define it for them and you get them to actually grasp the what the level and responsibility of influence and that they actually have it is, the light bulbs can go off. But you have to have them slow down because you're right. People don't think about their influence in a multidimensional way. Actually, they almost, if, if you go out and just said, hey, have you ever thought about your influence? They'll look at you like you're crazy. <laughs> right. You define what that means. And they'll take a step back and start to listen and then understand the influences that they have. Do you, do you ever have to kind of differentiate influence versus manipulation oh. <laughs> right? in that, in that it can look, taste and feel a lot alike, but it, it comes from a, a place of intention. What are you intending with your actions and, and deeds and that, people will figure it out eventually if it's manipulation, but right. Like those are, they can, the, the process of getting there can look a little bit alike, but the outcomes are very different. Yeah. You know, manip manipulation is just an aspect of influence. It's a type of influence, just like persuasion is a type of influence. And 
to manipulate is to try to control and to try to control uh usually when somebody's trying to take control or manipulate you find that it's coming from an area of influence that is not so positive mm -hmm. uh, they can justify and self-justify that it has a positive path or is for a positive reason but challenged through a smart q a session where mm -hmm. you can drill into the root cause of why they're manipulating, mm -hmm. what the purpose of the manipulation is, um, how they've manipulated to get where they're at. You start to learn about the ulterior motives or the the the, the shielded motives that they might have. And a lot of people don't even know what those are. They're hidden by biases they have, mm -hmm. unconscious, subconscious biases, all those things. And unless you have open communication and a transparent uh, uh, conversation with somebody, it ends up just being, ends up being still manipulation. Yeah, yeah. So the cover blurb on the book mentions teams and candid communication. Um, how does influence factor into helping a team get tighter? to get more cohesive. You know, we do a lot of work with intact teams in, in our, in our practice here. Um, so it's always something that I'm looking at with, with a lot of interest is what helps teams get tighter and more aligned. So how does influence factor into this, into this team building mechanism? Yeah. Well, for one is, is what's the purpose of the team? And then the team itself is individual and one of the things we talk about in our books is redefining the word individual and what individual means. Individualism to us is still singular, but we're redefining what is singular. So what I mean is when I'm acting alone, I'm individual, but when I'm acting with one to many other people, we are individual in a common purpose, moving towards a, a common goal. So when we're trying to build a team of more than one individual they have to understand that purpose they also have to understand their individual purposes to the larger purpose and that has to come first if it doesn't come first you end up losing somebody on the team or many on the team and the team can be can have cracks in it so when you're building a team you have to build from a common purpose and then build up from there what roles do they play? What responsibilities do they have? That's where SMART comes in. Um, how are we going to hold each other accountable? If if we do that, what does accountability even mean? Mm -hmm. um, uh, at what point do we abandon or do we go to phase two, phase three, milestone one, milestone two? And we teach this recurring process of communication and understanding and collaboration as part of our team process. And well, it works. <laughs> yeah, that mutual purpose bit can cut through a lot of the defensiveness or the, um, you know, I need to talk louder and faster than everybody else to make sure my position is put forward. And, but if there's, but there, if there's a common purpose, then you can always kind of circle back to that and get people grounded in that. And, I think that's, um, you know, to your point, you you can, 
skip that sometimes just thinking, well, we're a team and everybody knows what to do and everybody gets it the same way. And so we should just be doing it right. We should just be fine, but to actually pause and name it, um, and, and repeat that process as needed, um, helps anchor that team and get people out of their own agendas or their own singular focus. Yeah, we're busy. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, humans are busy and we carry a lot with us. And I hate to use the word baggage, but sometimes it is. And people come to work with different handbags. You know, they got different family problems. They got different age children. Some people are dealing with child problems in grammar school. Others are high school. Um, they've got parents they might take care of. And they bring this into the environment. And everybody needs a reset. Everybody needs to have a calibration. And when you allow for that to happen before you start moving forward in a common task with a group of people, you allow for that understanding, just like you just pointed out. And those of us that are in this world, we, we all do it. We do it a little differently. Semantics can get in the way. And if you don't define those semantics, the team can be fractured. So it's really important to have that transparent, smart communication with people. It just gets people on the same playing field. Mm -hmm. In the key messages from, from these books, one of the things that stuck out to me was, uh, there's a, a bullet point in here that says, how to look out for common pitfalls and avoid the traps that you set for yourself. Talk to us a little bit about what that is and, and what that means. Yeah, so I'll give you, since we've been talking about communication and in teams, many of us, including myself, even now, and I try to teach this stuff like <laughs> you guys do, and what I'm about to share with you, you probably catch yourself doing. We go into a meeting with people and we just start talking about the solution to the problem because we know the solution. We we know the context. We think we do. <laughs> yes. Well, and we might, but and we want to bring a whole team with us and we've stepped ahead three, four steps or even just one step and left a, a, a gap for mm -hmm. one person or many people. That's a pitfall. And if you do that over and over throughout a day and you're pivoting from team to team and you're leaving these gaps with every team, cumulatively, they can create larger pitfalls and larger problems. And they can set us up for, well, what comes with pitfalls, falling in it, failing, you know, uh, impaling. I mean, there's a <laughs> lot of different things that can come from leaving gaps with your teams because you make assumptions yeah. with what they what they know or, or, or where they've been. Mm -hmm. I played pitfall on Atari and it's quicksand. There's quicksand. <laughs> in there. I know that. Snakes yeah. and alligators. Um <laughs> Um, I, I like this notion that you talked about earlier about this kind of collective individualism. Um, individual meaning, you know, sort of historically as we've as we've believed it socially is us, single people. But units can have an individual identity. Um, how important is that in in establishing overtly when you're building a team? Very. I think without a purpose, and I don't mean just an individual purpose, without a purpose, a company can get lost very fast, which also means that within a company, without a purpose, a department can get lost really fast. 
Um, a division can get lost really fast. And you see that in companies where you have whole divisions that fail. They lost their way somehow. They became disconnected from the large, we call it the large I, by the way, the large individual, which is the foundation of the parent company. And you have parts, the, the, the child parts of the company who lose their way and they get disconnected. And sometimes they get spun off as their own thing. Sometimes they get re-engineered. Uh, sometimes they fail and just go away. Mm-hmm. And every everybody likes a purpose. I mean, we all want to know, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Why is this important? You know, it helps us define really what our influence can be and should be. And so uh, this this collective understanding of what individual is, is one of our biggest goals, because we think that it really furthers not just ourselves, but when we're on teams, it furthers this positive influence we can have when we collectively get together and not lose people along the way. Mm. Do you yeah. ever incorporate, because um, purpose can can be philosophical, it can be tactical, to right? It can build, turn into tactics. Do you, um, do you ever pair core values with purpose, right? So there's the what we're about, and then there's the how we go about doing it. Is that is that part of it? Is mm-hmm. yeah, Lori, it is. And the why? I mean, why are we even doing yeah, it? Yeah, you know? So all sure. of those things, and we challenge those questions constantly. Mm-hmm. And when people feel lost, even a little bit lost, we tell them stop everything and start asking questions. If you're on a team and you feel like you just even if you have an, that that intuition that something's wrong. Tell people, I think something's wrong. I don't know what is. Can we talk about where we just came from? Can mm-hmm. we talk about where we said we were going? You know, help me to contextualize this feeling a little bit. Because sometimes we don't know where it's coming from. It's just a feeling that something's wrong. Mm-hmm. And when you open that up, other people might say, yeah, you know what? I felt the same way. And this is when I started feeling that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that about just trusting when trusting when you feel something's off that I think people feel like they can't ask questions or that they'll look dumb, right? Well, I must have missed a meeting where this was covered or mm-hmm. I I just I don't get it the same way as everybody else. And so I'll limp along, right? And that's, you know, suffering is optional. Everybody can ask questions. Yeah. And it's hard because people are afraid, as you all know. I mean, I'm sure you all know this. People don't like to be thought of as not knowing. We don't like to feel like we're the one in the room who doesn't have uh, the level of understanding as everybody else. So we clam up, we we hold back, we try to protect ourselves. And being vulnerable is probably one of the best aspects of a a positive leader. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know any positive leaders who don't make themselves vulnerable. 100%. Yeah. 100%. So I want to flip that over um, because of this willingness to sort of step in there um, for (laughs) protectionary reasons, like you guys were just talking about. Um, Ruby and I have a client in a leadership team that is aware of some stuff and they don't want to talk about it. (laughs) So it's this notion of well intentioned, but misappropriated influence because. We know that they know that they know that we know this stuff is happening. But when we try to talk about it, shit gets weird 
and we shut it down real fast because we don't want anybody to get too uncomfortable. We don't want to, you know, harsh the vibe of the team here. Um, how do you, as a management consultant, when you see this, like problems have been identified, we all know they're there. And if we don't fix them, bad things will happen. And the team is not stepping into the frame. Like, what do you do? Yeah, well, if it's something that's closely held, let's say by the owner, um, and he just refuses to engage, we'll back him into a corner quite literally <laughs> and just say, look, we can't continue to be an advisor for you if you're not going to face reality. Mm -hmm. And you, you're withholding this information is detrimental to the viability of yourself and the viability of your team. And if you can't handle it, let us handle it. And funny enough, which I wish it wasn't this way, <laughs> we have a lot of clients that make us be the bad guys. Mm -hmm. um, we have clients that they only engage us when they have to terminate somebody. They only yeah. engage us if they terminate a vendor or a customer or an employee. Um, I have a client. Uh, That's heartwarming. Thanks, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> we have a client in this building that um, I've only had to do it three times, but all three times they've had me terminate close, longstanding employees. And because they just can't do it, even though they know it's the right thing to do, even though it's it's obvious to everybody, including the person being terminated. Sure. And um, you just have to be direct with them. And if it really is detrimental to the organization, if it really is detrimental to them, then this is hard for us management consultants. You gotta you you gotta tell them if you don't allow us to do this, we can't help you, and I don't want to be involved with your organization because if you can't do this, right. what else are you not going to do? Right. And it's a hard thing to do when you're making a living off helping people, and you're gonna walk away from sometimes, you know, high Good earning money. clients. Yeah. Yeah. I used to think it was just the organizations that I worked inside that were messed up, but being a consultant for the last <laughs> decade. It's it's target rich, man. Every organization is messed up in their own special, unique way, including uh, us, including right. us. <laughs> no sure. kidding. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, um, I think I think sometimes being able to really point to or, or get the group or the person or the whatever to to really focus on what's the burning platform here, right? If if nothing is done what are the consequences? And then they have to decide, can you live with those consequences or are those unacceptable? Right. And if they yeah. say, hmm, it's not worth getting uncomfortable about, all right, then you've identified the consequences in your status quo with those eyes wide open, right? You can't come back and say, well, I don't know why these things are happening. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think, out. that's a, that's mm -hmm. a great example of how you can uh, mm -hmm. approach those issues because yeah. yeah, let them call it out. Yeah. It just made me think, yeah, Eric, let me pipe in there, mm -hmm. um, that even if the clients don't do anything with the truth that we tell, I think there are ripple effects, right? Mm -hmm. And there are seeds that are sown that impact those leaders and teams long-term, even if we don't see it. Just by clear, like just by articulating a truth and speaking a truth, and that it has, there are just there are things that we're influencing people, right? And things are happening, and um, in ways that we sometimes don't ever get to know or, or or close the loop with. 
-hmm. Yeah, I can yeah. tell you, we have signed many, many new clients from team members of clients that we have fired for this reason. Mm -hmm. And what happens is, is those clients end up failing and somebody on that team remembers that we were mm -hmm. speaking the truth and truth. speaking the right things. And they circle back around and end up hiring us because I've identified a new problem in the mm -hmm. new organization they're in. And the first thing they've said sometimes to their new owner or their new leader is, this company was the only one who would tell us the truth. They were the only one who stood behind what they were trying to teach. They didn't blow sunshine up our rear ends and, you know, they didn't become yes men for a paycheck. Yeah. It's I, Eric and I talk about this, you know, and he's been in inside the company HR person. And I am, you know, inside one company as an HR person, Leah actually works with me in, in the HR team. And, you know, sometimes I have to remind, you know, we have a business partner model and they're very passionate about wanting to do the right thing and, and wanting to, you know, help leaders lead and they'll get really frustrated that, you know, they're not listening, they're not taking our advice, they're not doing the things. And I keep reminding them, you know, to, to a certain extent, we are advisors, we are consultants, we don't lead their teams, they lead their teams. And so sometimes it's it's about illuminating here here are your options because you're a grown-ass adult and you're gonna do it <laughs> even if that means you're gonna mm. do nothing right mm. I can't control you what I can tell you is that there is risk on this side if you do nothing and there is reward on this side if you do something how can I help you make that choice because again it then then it's them engaging in oh, geez, I guess I have to knowingly do nothing or I actually have to figure out a way to do something. And it's and it's a way to, right, if, if they choose to ignore the issue, the unfortunate part about being inside the business is then you get to clean up the crap that happens <laughs> because they won't do the thing. And we resist saying, I told you so, <laughs> right? But, um, but, you know, just some sometimes you have to just back away and say, I, I did what I could to illuminate the consequences and the rewards here. They have to, they have to pick, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> it's the, it's the consultants uh, dilemma, right? We, we get granted extra credence for being smart and for, for having some value to add. Um, and yet, you know, I, I always used to joke about if, Mackenzie or BCG or somebody showed up, they were going to be here for six months. They were going to leave behind a binder that cost a hundred thousand dollars and then nothing would change. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just thinking about these dynamics happening on teams and what Ruby and I experienced with the client, it, it just, it sort of reshines the light on how prevalent those challenges are in teams and how, misunderstood our own influence is inside even in our own organization you know i'm thinking about this specific client and there are there's a founder on the leadership team been around since there has been a company and even still not fully cognizant of the ripples that are cast when she drops her rock in the pond and uh i, th I think as leaders understanding the full impact of that. I mean, it wasn't until I have the luxury of doing this podcast and talking to people that are experts and stuff. And I hadn't thought about influence as 
a standalone concept ever, I don't think. I mean, it's always part of how you build a team or part of how you're building an executive brand or something like that, but never as a standalone ingredient. And, and I think there's a lot of value in, in digging into what does that mean? And to, to Ruby's point about how everyone's watching, you know, what are the impacts of my decision or indecision, the words that I chose to say, or the thing that everybody wanted me to say, but I didn't say, um, if you could sort of nutshell, Brian, one piece of advice for executives that wanted to get their minds around this idea, what would that be? Um, wow. So, I mean, short of just telling them that everything they, I mean, they're, they're in the spotlight. Everything they do or don't do is influence. Um, you know, the biggest rock that small business people throw that create ripples is the do as I say, not as I do position. <laughs> and um, empty words are negative influence. Okay. Doing the opposite of what you say is supposed to happen is negative influence. Um, defining your actions like rocks. I love your analogy in uh, calling them rocks because that's exactly what they are. And if you think about action, or the lack of action, words, what those words mean, uh, where they go, who they influence, what happens from those words, what 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 uh, what occurs because of what comes out of my mouth. Mm -hmm. If you start right. to think of it like those are little rocks, then uh, you'll begin to grasp just how powerful you are. And if you allow your team to do the same thing, within their sphere of influence, if they understand what their position is, what their responsibilities are, and if they understand who relies on them, who makes decisions because of them, who doesn't make decisions because of them, all of this is part of this understanding of influence. And if you allow people to actually have a conversation about it, they get really smart really fast. And what happens when they get really smart is they get really thoughtful. Mm -hmm. And if you can get humans to slow down and become thoughtful, I believe that humans instinctively are good. Yes, mm -hmm. there are people who manipulate. Yes, there are people who persuade. But in an environment of most good humans, those people fall out really fast. Yeah. They get identified really fast and they end up getting squeezed out really fast. Yeah. Yep. I love I that. I, I that sounds you. like a wrap to me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love that. Um, something you said there in that last bit really resonates for me. And that's the idea of getting people to slow down. I think a lot of times as executives, as business leaders, as, as people in, in leadership positions in organizations, We've got a task list a mile long and the expectation is that we do as much as we can as fast as we can. And, and Ruby always preaches the, the idea of self-care and, you know, just listening to you talk about humans and the humanity of them, uh, embracing that, taking that breath, taking that pause uh, so that you can show up as your truly authentic self. You said earlier, vulnerability is key. And, you know, we here at Sky Team and Beyond follow the teachings of our Lord and Savior, Brene Brown, and she talks all about <laughs> vulnerability. And, you know, 
historically speaking, we're socialized to think that that means being weak, especially, especially as Americans and as white American men in that culture, vulnerable is not the thing to do, but it's where the magic happens. So Brian, how do people find you if they want to come talk to you about influence and engage with IA advisors? So if they go to our website, which is iabusinessadvisors.com, and uh, there's an about page about our organization. There's a publication page that not just has our books, but it has things about our speaking series and our and our blogs and our newsletter and our own podcast. Um, that's the best way to learn about us or go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble and, and buy one of our books. And, and write that review, right? Got to yeah. write that review. Yeah. Yeah. Write those reviews. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Brian, for being here with us today. This has been a fantastic conversation. Let's get on to our end of show things. Brian, at the end of the show, we do three things that take about five minutes. We call them funny things, good feels, and our silly cocktail. And uh, I will get into funny things. You are welcome to stick around and enjoy the funny things. Or if you've got real work to do, you're welcome to go do that. All right. Funny thing number one, just an embarrassing email to receive. The email is from Burger King and it says update to terms and conditions. I feel that. I feel that hard. <laughs> the second funny thing, just this is, you know, we're talking about observations and generations and all kinds of stuff here. Um, this was from Reddit. What's the dumbest thing you ever heard? And this guy says, I drive for Uber and on the weekends here. And one time a girl who was in her late 20s told me that I was making her uncomfortable. I hadn't said a word the whole trip. So I asked her how I could make the situation better. And she said she didn't like how I kept playing with the fidget stick in the middle of my car. I drive a manual. And then she told me that she didn't need that. I didn't need to use that because her car didn't have that. And she claimed to be a mechanic. What? Wow. <laughs> So talk about influence. She asserted with certainty that he didn't need to use that fidget stick because she didn't have one in her car. <laughs> wow. Now that summer Fridays are over, it's time to implement fall Mondays. The day starts at 12 p.m. Work from home is mandatory. Meetings are illegal and you can still be slightly drunk from watching football without <laughs> repercussions. I will be resigning if my demands aren't met. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> That's pumpkin spice Monday to Ruby. <laughs> Funny thing. Number four here. This is for Ruby. Have you seen this cat? Because he is fucking awesome. He's not lost or anything. Just thought you should see him. <laughs> uh, my favorite funny thing here today. Second favorite funny thing. I realized my daughter Grace got a Barbie camper and a Barbie science lab for Christmas, which is essentially the Barbie Breaking Bad starter kit. <laughs> yes. Oh, uh, and because I love cats and I love this meme, 1999 is pronounced 1999, 1888, as you would expect, 1777, yes, as you would expect. The number 1111. Is pronounced 1,111, unless you're that cat from the meme, then it's 1111D1. <laughs> uh, today's Good Feel story is Labor Day appropriate. 
And it's about a woman working her dream job. Finally tonight, CBS's Steve Hartman goes on the road to find the often overlooked men and women who are the heartbeat of our nation. We set out this week to find someone who exemplifies the spirit of the American worker and wound up here in Cleveland, Tennessee at Tenova Healthcare, where 85-year-old Doris Caldwell holds one of the least glamorous, most physically challenging jobs in the hospital. Hello, my name is Doris. I'm the housekeeping. Can I come in and clean your floor? She's been at this for 50 like years. Thank you. But what makes her special isn't just her longevity, her geniality, or even her flexibility. Could you bend over, touch your toes? You want to see me? <laughs> Instead, what makes Doris remarkable is that cleaning rooms is and always has been her dream job. Back in the 60s, Doris used to pass by this hospital and say to herself, I'm going to work there someday. She didn't care if it was as a doctor or a dishwasher. All she wanted was to play some role in making people better. Dreaming of helping people, be with people. And my dream is still going on. And her attitude, still inspiring others. From the CEO. Her aura is something that you want to be around. To the doctors. I've never heard her have a single complaint. To the maintenance crews. She just likes to work. Everyone is stumped by her stamina. I asked her one time when she was going to retire, and she said, no. <laughs> no. 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 I think I would just dry up and fly away. Her vow to stay on is reassuring to everyone at Tenova, except maybe this one nurse. Because I don't think I can retire and her still working. Her daughter Sharon has been here 44 years. She's stuck, but feels blessed to be so. She's just an amazing lady. This Labor Day, we celebrate all those dutiful, inexhaustible American workers. Those who cheerfully keep this country running. Those who will enjoy Monday, just not as much as Tuesday. Is there anything else I can do for you, sir? Steve Hartman, on the road. You have a great day. In mm. Cleveland, Tennessee. Oh, Doris. Love she's, she's awesome. Leah, did you uh, say it sounds like your stepmom? <laughs> yeah, a younger version. Younger but version. <laughs> that's way. I, I love it. So last time we got together, the semi-quarantine cocktail was about a bear that got loose on a plane. I'm sticking with my theme. Today's <laughs> semi-quarantine cocktail is called Bear Claw. This isn't a riff on anything. It's just literally White Claw. You're going to need uh, one state of Florida two mango white claws, a screened-in porch, uh, one three-legged bear known as tripod, some fish food, and a strawberry white claw because apparently mango and strawberry are his favorites. So the bear came up to this house, and uh, they had an aquarium in the backyard. He ate the fish food, then he punched a hole in the screen to the screened-in porch, broke in, Stole and drank three white claws. <laughs> and he left very happy, according to the witness, the son who was in the house, who wasn't that scared because we know tripod. <laughs> just, the just the lines get me like every day. <laughs> like, <laughs> and just to say it out loud, everyone was okay. 
But literally a bear broke into somebody's house and drank three White Claws and rolled out. It's going to be like that movie, uh, like the cocaine bear movie. Yeah. <laughs> like the White Claw bear. It's a little bit different demographic. It's going to be a, you know, a bunch of white dudes and then a bunch of white women. <laughs> I, wa- I wonder, Ruby, is there pumpkin spice White Claw? That's what I want to know. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks to Brian Smith. Thanks to each and every one of you. We will see you next week with Buki Misaki. That's going to be a fun one. For now, it's dinner time. Take care, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you had a good time and learned a thing or two at today's happy hour, please share it with your friends. If you want to join our tribe, head on over to skyteam.cloud forward slash TCB or email us at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again. And remember, you've always got friends at the Corporate Bartender.